I want you, if you would, to, uh, to open your Bibles with me to Micah. I'll give you a chance to find it because it might not be a book you turn to a lot. It's right after Jonah and right before Habakkuk, if that helps, <laughs> if that helps any. It's one of the minor prophets. Micah was living during the days uh, preceding or the years preceding the ba Babylonian captivity. And there was a lot of sin to be dealt with, not only in Judah, but in Samaria. And also the, he's, the Lord uses Micah as a prophet to bring a rebuke against Judah, against Samaria and, and the, uh, Israel as a, at large, and also to the Gentile nations that are around. But I want you to read with me in Micah chapter 7. i you've all had a chance to find it. It's on page 905 in my Bible, if that helps at all. Uh, Micah chapter 7, we're going to start reading in verse 7, and we'll, we'll read through verse 9. Micah says, Therefore I will look unto, unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him. Until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Amen. Everything about what Micah is saying here is one of hope. It's one of something of expectation of the future. Even though he says, I've sinned against the Lord, what he's speaking or in declaring is faith in God, and he's declaring a hope in the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, this is a very simple message. I'll tell you right off the bat. You won't, I don't believe you'll be confused as to what we're talking about and have a hard time following anything. It's simply this. We're going to use this as our text for Micah. What he says specifically in verse 7, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And I will say this to you this morning. God wants you to hear that God's people are to have confidence to wait on the Lord. We're to have confidence in the faithfulness of God and confidence to look unto the Lord. And then as we're looking to wait on the Lord, we have to ha we're to have confidence in the Lord and trust in the Lord to do that because he is a faithful God. And we are to greatly trust the Lord and we are to completely trust in the Lord. Now, I've said this before because I've thought about, and the Bible talks a lot about waiting, and waiting is one of the hardest things to do. Waiting is hard for an unbeliever. It's hard for a believer. It can be hard, but we have a big difference between us and an unbeliever. We have a steadfast confidence and hope and assurance that I, my God will hear me, and my God will deliver me, okay, and do the work that needs to be done. Sometimes, you know, you can wait just because you don't have any choice, you, you, you know, if, if a child's waiting until they're old enough to get a driver's license or a teenager, there's no choice. You just have to wait. You're in a doctor's office. We have some doctors here. Uh, you just have to wait. You don't have a choice, right? There's a lot of things. We just, you're stuck in traffic going to the beach, and you're stuck on I-10 right before you get to the tunnel. comes to a screeching halt, and you want to get to the beach, and you don't have a choice. There's not 15 different ways. You pretty much have to go that way, Right? Sometimes we wait, we just have to wait. Well, Christians have to wait too. But the difference is when we wait, we need a, God wants us to wait with a confidence in Him. 
He wants us to wait with a peace in our hearts and in our minds and in the faithfulness of God, trusting him. God wants us to trust him greatly, and he wants us to trust him completely. And so the Lord is speaking to us this morning. The Lord wants you to trust him. The Lord wants you to trust him right now. He wants you to trust him in whatever circumstance or situation you are in at the present. Some of you, I know some trials you're going through. Some I do not. But the Lord knows. He wants you to trust him. He's telling you this morning, he wants you to trust in him and be still and wait. And he wants you to wait and in turn while you're waiting to have the faith of God and the peace of God. And he has given us the basis upon which we can do that and how we can do that. The basis is the unfailing love of God for us. The unfailing love of God and the faithfulness of God that he has shown us through the years. That is my basis. That is my basis that I can say like Micah, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He says in verse 7 of what we read. God's people are not simply to, to wish and hope. We're to, we're to hope. We're to trust and hope. And, you know, every, every believer, I don't think there's any exception. We read about famous men and uh, characters in the Bible. Every man of God, woman of God, young person of God, some point in our lives, probably more than once in our lives, we're brought to a crisis point. We're brought to a crisis of our own faith in God. Am I going to continue to trust him it for, for this? And you fill in the blank of what this is. You know, we've had, all had ups and downs in, in our, you know, we doubt and then we believe and then we, God forgive me for doubting and we're up and down a lot of times and then we're strengthened in our faith and praise God for that. But everybody, I believe, comes to some point where there's a, almost a crisis of their faith. Where are, am I going to to turn to the Lord and trust him despite the delay and the answer, despite in the severity of the trial, the length of the trial, the deep depth of the valley I'm going through, uh, despite how it seems that heaven is shut up and God is not hearing me. I have all the promises and yet none of it seems to be working out for me. And, and God allows us. Can I tell you that he allows you and I to go right to that point? It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing, but it's a growth. And it is a death to self. And it is trusting in Christ. And we're brought through those. The Lord is the one who keeps us from falling. You know, I read in the Bible about uh, the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred for Christ. And he writes that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That always sticks out to me because he didn't just forsake Paul. He evidently forsook the Lord in exchange for a love for this present world. It's some He had walked along in the Christian mode maybe for years. We read in other epistles that he was one of the fellow laborers. He's mentioned as one of the laborers of, of the Lord in the gospel in the New Testament. But he came to some point where he loved the world more. But I, I think for, for us, 
there are trials of our faith, and some, are, some we, we get through pretty quickly, and it was nothing but a, a bump in the, on the road, and others are serious, and others are we're, we're agonizing, and yet God is upholding us. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling, the Lord keeps us in the faith. A lot of other things may be stripped away, but he is able to keep us in the faith, and I promise you that's where you want to be. That's where you need to be and where I need to be. So things come against us. I'll tell you what Jeremiah said, the weeping prophet, right? Wrote 50-something chapters plus lamentations. He didn't have any followers. He didn't have any uh, real companions. There was one servant that was with him for a, for a while. He, pre- he preached the truth of, of Jehovah as God told him, and he was rejected, and the Lord's word was rejected, and he was thrown in prison at least twice. There was all kinds of things that happened to Jeremiah. He says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I mean, you just get this picture that, you know, everything we hoped for is past. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and basically we're still not saved. We're still not saved from our own sin, from the enemy, whatever. Uh, he, he had his own personal enemies and so forth. Now, Jeremiah continued to trust the Lord. I'm simply giving you an example of that crisis of faith where we're brought to. It is, it is within the will of God. It is within the confines of his, what he has mapped out for your life. I'm not talking about trials we go through because of our sin, consequences, and we repent and come back. I'm talking about when we're, for the most part, we're keeping our eyes on Jesus and we're walking to the Lord and he, he allows us to go through something and we're not seeing God move and we're not seeing an answer and we're not seeing deliverance or we're not seeing direction or wisdom or healing or whatever it may be. God, Micah says, I'm going to look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. We need to know that. We need to trust and believe that. And so God's people are not simply to wish, and you know how I'm using that wish and hope, with our fingers crossed that God will come through, that God will hear and help. His people are to know and to be sure that God will help. Jesus' own disciples who, who watched him do miracles, and they were sent out and even came back and said, Lord, the devils are subject to us in your name. I mean, it was amazing, the power of God he had given them. And yet, when they were on that boat at night and Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat and the waves are coming and the storm's coming, these grown men, several of them fishermen who probably spent their lives on the sea, were scared and thinking, we're going to die. And he rebukes the winds and the waves, and then he rebukes them and says, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? The just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They haven't come to pass yet, and yet we can trust that they're going to come to pass if God has spoken it to our hearts or spoken it clearly in his word. And so when, when Jesus at one point had 70 disciples and more than just the 12, and he, he preached a sermon, said some things that they, they were offended in John chapter 6, and they left, and it says they walked no more with him. So he turns to the 12 and said, will you go away also? And Peter says, and we know that the passage, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. And he says, we believe and are sure. That's what we're talking about this morning. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It comes down to that. Can anything shake your faith and get you off of that firm foundation? No, Lord, no matter what happens. I pray to be healed and I got sicker. You know, I prayed for this and my family to be reconciled and the division got wider. But we come to a point, we say, I believe and am sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he wants us to be able to trust him and stay there. There is a world of difference between our God and every other God with the little G that's out there. A world of difference between our God and every other God that is worshipped by men. And there's also a world of difference between you and I wishing and hoping that God will come through and knowing that our God will come through. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between I cross my fingers, so to speak, and I'm throwing this prayer up and I hope God answers it. I, I really need him to. I really hope God comes through. And yet the Bible tells us that, that we are to know with a steadfast conviction and assurance, an unwavering confidence that our God will hear me, that my God is going to come through, that my God will deliver me, heal me, forgive me, whatever is needed in my life. So there's a big difference between wishing and hoping, okay, and knowing that God will come through. That word hope, you know, the Bible speaks of Abraham when God promised an old man. He was 75 when the promise that he would be the father of many nations, okay? And he didn't have any children. And his wife was barren. She was 65 when the promise was made. He was 100 and his wife 90 when the promise was fulfilled. We know this story. But the Bible says in, in Romans that against hope, he believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. As it is written, so shall thy seed be. There was a promise made, uh, excuse me, <coughs> from God and the promise from God is as good as the God who made the promise and he wants us to know that and he wants us to believe that and so the Bible says in Hebrews that Sarah herself received strength to conceive after she was past age because she judged him faithful who promised it wasn't the promise is so much as the one who made the promise whatever the promise had been from Almighty God to Sarah and to Abraham she came to a point, they had their doubts and unbeliefs as well. But I always say from beginning of the promise to the end, they got there. They got where they needed to go. God kept them and they trusted God. And by faith, Abraham, the Bible says. And by faith, Sarah. Amen. And so uh, that hope is not wishing hope. Okay, I say it all the time. So I use sports for an example. You, you, you're watching your favorite team. I hope my team wins. Guess what? They don't always, do they? That's why it's so exciting when they finally do win. Uh, they don't always win. You hope so. It's an excitement. You want that to happen. That is not the same as biblical hope. Biblical hope, when Abraham believed, hoped against hope, basically, that word means a joyful expectation, or it means to an expectation with pleasure. In other words, I'm really trusting and believing and I'm believing for good. I'm believing the Lord for good. So it's a trust in the Lord. And it's not just wishing, crossing your fingers and hoping your team wins, right? 
our, our confidence in the Lord is not to be a wish and hope, but a, to trust. To trust. And he wants us to stay right there. And he, again, he's given us the basis for that. Why should I, if I meet some stranger and they say, trust me with your life. I'm like, I don't even know you. I'm not going to trust you with my life. But we, it comes through knowing the Lord. It comes through the faithfulness of God. Faithful is he who calleth thee, who also will do it. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, he abideth faithful. But nevertheless, the foundations of God standing uh, have this seal, stand sure having this seal that God knows them that are his. And, and it says that he abides faithful. He abideth faithful. And so the more we come to know the Lord, you know, somebody might really ask, can I really, you know, you Christians talk so much about the word of God. We throw a scripture on everything. Can I really, can a, one, can an individual actually take the word of God or a promise from the Lord and bank on it, so to speak? Really put your whole self on the weight of your whole self or life or future or family can you really base it and rest it there on a promise of God? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. We have a hard time with God that. And that's why we go through repeated trials of our faith to show the faithfulness of God. Abraham and Sarah had trials of their faith. They failed a few times, notably. But they got where they were going, and their faith was strengthened in the Lord. But yes, the, the, the way that we can trust the promise of God. I'll give an example uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is it really that easy? You know, or if we believe, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart in Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. Or uh, when we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. These are promises of God, right? If he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we've desired of him. Or given, it shall be given unto you. Uh, all these promises of God, Right? That where two are gathered in my name, two or more, there I am in the midst of them. Can I really believe that and stand on it? The answer is yes. With a resounding yes. Not because I say so, but because God has proven himself. What we come to know, an individual man or woman, we come to know the God of the promise. Know him. And when I know the God of the promise, the Bible says God who cannot lie. Another scripture says it's impossible for God to lie. So... We come to know the God who cannot lie. And then when he speaks something, whether it's in the Bible or speaks something to your own heart, we can trust him and believe him. We can bank on that. We can rest in that. We can stay right there. Amen. So uh, there's no power in simply wishing and hoping. Honestly, I said there's a big there's a world of difference between wishing and hoping that God's going to hear and save and deliver or knowing, despite what I see, knowing that my God's going to hear me and answer. There's a big difference. God wants us to know and be sure. The first, just simply wishing, I think it's actually no better than superstition. It's almost like I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it, I'm going to pray that scripture. I'm going to try it for a week and see what happens. And it's almost just like a superstition. If that doesn't work, then you try something else. God doesn't want us to say, if that doesn't work, try something else. He says, I'm going to, he wants us to live and die right there on the promises of God. Somebody's praying for healing. You know what? You might die before you're healed. 
but you're going to be healed. Stay right there in Christ. You're going to get a new body, and so am I one day. It doesn't get sick or hurt. We stay right there on the promises of God. We don't give it a shot. There were seven sons of a, in Ephesus of a Jewish priest, uh, seven sons of a man named Sceva. We know the story in, in Ephesus. And they had, there was revival in Ephesus through the preaching of the gospel and the signs and wonders following and people being saved and they went and burned all their mag magic uh, witchcraft and their books and piled it up in the street and said, we're following Jesus. And there were seven sons of Sceva and it says they tried to cast out demons like Paul did. There was a man, one man, in a house that was demon-possessed. And they say, we adjure you. That means to solemnly charge. That's not the same as that confidence of knowing that Paul had. Okay? We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Speaking of the demons, come out of that man. And the demon, the man in whom the demons were spoke to these seven men and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? I want to live honestly to where God would, the devils would know. They, the devils would know where Cornerstone Church is. The devils would know where you are when you're out and about in your daily life. Not just at BBS or we go out street witnessing, but the that, that, that hell would notice where we are. And we would walk with that confidence and that power. And then the man in whom the evil spirits were, one man, leapt upon those seven men, overcame them. They ran out of the house that says naked and defeated. And everybody knew about it. God was glorified. What's the point? One, the seven sons of Sceva wished and hoped and gave it a shot. Let me try, let's see Paul doing this. Let me try that and give it a shot. That's not how he wants us to live our lives. He wants us to know and be confident and trust in the Lord. There's no power in such a life of just hoping and wishing, and there's no peace in that life. There's no strength because that strength comes from the Lord. Remember, Peter said, when the other disciples left, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Evidently, those others hoped and thought that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe they did for a good period of time, maybe for a year and a half. I don't know. But they trusted, trusted up until a point, and then they quit. God wants us to be like Peter. We believe and are sure. Despite what I see with my eyes and hear with my ears and what I see in the environment morally and spiritually around me or in my own circumstances, I know that you're God. There's a wonderful scripture. It's become one of my favorites. And I'll just quote it to you. You know it. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. He is going to be exalted. We heard about this morning in Sunday school. A wonderful lesson from Psalm 8 that, that Bed taught this morning about uh, what is man that thou art even mindful of him. And yet, he's going to be exalted, and he wants us to be still and know that he's God. He wants to, as the Bible says, strengthen us, establish us, settle us. Not still in the sense of uh, lazy, but still in the sense of being settled 
and, and waiting. Okay, that word still, be still and know, I looked it up, and it does mean just to cease, to cease from your labor. It doesn't mean we don't serve God anymore. It means whatever I'm fretting over and trying to come up with an answer, I'm trying this scripture, I'm trying God for a while. Okay, God's not going to answer. Abraham and Sarah, well, Abraham, take my, my handmaid and go into her and have a child. Maybe that's what God meant. They're, they're not being still and knowing that God is God. They're trying something out. They're not settled. They're, they're giving something a shot. Let's just try this, maybe. God doesn't want us to be maybe when it comes to the things of, of God, the things he has clearly shown us in his word and spoken to our hearts, and specifically who he is and his character and his faithfulness. When he comes back, I know I say it all the time, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation in Revelation 19 on a white horse, we're going to be following him. He's, he's coming to do what he's coming to do. Amen? And, and on his name, his name is written faithful and true. Faithful and true. That's who he is. That's not going to change. doesn't change because you haven't seen or I haven't seen God answer a prayer in a long time that I've been praying for. doesn't change because I'm going through a trial that's way harder or way longer than I ever thought I could go through. He is still faithful and true. And he's faithful to you when you're going through it. And he's faithful to me as well. Be still and know. Any man of any religion can practice his religion and then hope for the best. Anybody can do that. Anybody, pick it. You know, pick a, pick a religion. And they can follow their practices of their religion. And then they can hope it works out for them. Or their God will hear them or help them. But only God is our rock. Only Jesus Christ is faithful and true. He alone can be trusted, and he alone should be trusted. We should trust him. doesn't honor God when we doubt and when we, we are, are unsure about the goodness of God and so forth. There's no solid footing for the man who simply hopes. I just, and I'm talking not biblical hope, but I'm just wishing, I hope, gosh, Hope it happens. I tried this. There's no solid footing for that. James says, when, when, and he's using uh, wisdom in this case, but he says, if any man lacks wisdom, what should he do? Ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask how? In faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's not wishing and hoping when I stand on a promise of God. Lord, you said in your word, and we stand right there. It's not wishing and hoping. We stand there, and we stand there, and we continue to stand there by the grace of God. He keeps us, and he holds us up. He keeps us from falling. I always thought that's interesting, at least to me, in that passage I just quoted from James about the uh, this man is unstable, the man who wavers when he doubt, when he prays, and he, he doesn't pray by faith. He prays, but he doesn't pray by faith, and he wavers in believing. Uh, it says he's not just unstable when it comes to his prayer life. He's not just unstable when it comes to receiving wisdom, and that was in the context of what the prayer was for. 
the, the man who wavers and doubts when he prays, he's praying the right prayer, he's praying to God, and yet he's doubting that it's actually going to come to pass and God's going to hear him, that man's unstable in all of his ways. I'm going to be for an unstable person, not just in my prayer life, but in everything. I'm going to be doubting, wondering, and wishing, and hoping, and oh, it didn't work out, I'm going to try something else. Abraham and Sarah didn't stay in perpetual doubt. They had some times they doubted, and they took matters in their own hands. They sinned. It was wrong. They came back to God, and they, they continued to trust the Lord, and they ended up, as I said, in faith and where God wanted them to be. There's a little story I heard uh, about a, there was two friends, two young girls, uh, that were saving up to buy something they really wanted. Each of them was saving money and doing little odd jobs and trying to save money to buy what they each really wanted. They were sitting there one day counting their money and counting out pennies and nickels and so forth. And this little girl says, I got this much. And this one says, well, uh, this one's got about $5. This one counted out about $5. But this one over here said, I've got, I get $10. She says, no, you just counted it. You only have five. She goes, no, I've got $10. They argued back and forth. There's only $5 there. She says, I got $10. Dad, when he left this morning, said when he get, gets home, he's giving me $5. I got $10. And it's just the, the fact of counting on it to that extent. She only had five sitting there. And who was it? Uh, Hudson Taylor said we got 25 cents in all the promises of God. You know, we've got 25 cents left in the mission field in China, but we got all the promises of God. It's trusting in the Lord. Being still and knowing that he's God. So I want to talk about Micah just as we, we bring this on. Uh, if you're still there in Micah chapter 7, there are some, read with me. We're going to back up to verse 2. So here's Micah saying, talking to the Lord. He says, woe is me in verse 1. And he's at verse 2, the good man is perished out of the earth. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. Skip down to verse 4. The best of them, as as a briar, skip down to verse 5. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not, nope, not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the, the daughter riseth up against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So then the next verse is where we open this morning. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. Okay? So I want to talk about this just for a moment. Micah was going through trials. There was two main things that we read about. Number one, there was wicked, untrustworthy, deceitful people all around him. He says, you better close your mouth. Don't even talk to your wife that's laying there next to you in the bed. I mean, we're, people are betraying each other left and right. This was, he said, the best of them is, what he said, the best of them is a uh, good man's perish from the land, right? The best of them is a briar, okay, that'll poke you. So he's, he's, he's facing unfaithful, beyond unfaithful, enemy, deceitful, hateful people around him and close to him. He's facing it himself. He's got another trial or circumstance or situation where he which he needs God and that is in verse 9 I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him so he had his own sin 
He had his own sin. The, the point I want to make from this is that for both of those outside trial, trials and things that are without, unfaithful people and enemies that want to get me, that's all around. Also, I have my own sin within, okay? For both of those, he says, I'm looking to the Lord. I know it's a simple truth, but we can look to the Lord for everything. Inward things, uh, I don't have any peace and I worry all the time and uh, my own sin and I struggle with this and I, my mind races on me and uh, all these things. We can, we can bring that to God and he's the answer. And we can say, I got, I got backstabbers all around me at work, you know, or in my own family or whatever. And I got government that I don't trust or whatever. I got this all around me. We can turn to God for everything. We can turn to the Lord for everything. My God's going to help, the psalmist said, and he, he will help, and that right early. Amen? He's going to help. And so turn, turn to the Lord for everything and turn to the Lord alone. Don't turn to God plus some other stuff. Turn to the Lord. Learn to turn to the Lord for everything, the smallest little thing, right? Little sniffles or, or whatever. Just turn to the Lord for the smallest thing and the biggest thing, but also turn to him alone and turn to him with your whole heart. Don't turn to him halfway is what I'm saying. The unstable man, right? The wavers, wavers who prays without faith. He needs wisdom. He's asking God for wisdom, but he doesn't fully believe, he's not fully convinced that God is either able or that he'll do it for me. And that would be us, right? Well, I don't, quote, I believe God can do it. More, than, more along the lines when I doubt, it's not the doubting at all that God can do it. It's you doubting, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it for me? I read about him doing it for other people. Is he going to do that for our country? Is he going to do it for me? And so forth. But God wants us to not turn to him. Don't turn to the Lord halfway. Don't turn to the Lord slightly. Don't turn to the Lord somewhat. Okay? Don't turn to the Lord when, when you yourself are unconvinced or unsure of his absolute goodness. Of his absolute power and mercy and his desire to help and to forgive sins if that's the case. Turn to the rock of your salvation and fall upon that rock. And stay right there. You'll never be disappointed. Amen. You'll never be let down. You won't be left on your own. He promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So in the darkest trial you're going through, when you can't literally see the hand in front of your face, and you don't even know what, I don't even know what to do, God. I don't even know which way to turn. God has not left you. He's right there. He wants you to call upon the rock, fall upon the rock, uh, the Bible says, uh, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. That's where we turn. He's telling us where to look. Micah's telling us where to look. Micah's telling us where he did look, where other men and, and women have turned to God and passed. I'm going to bring this to a close. Jesus went into a house, a house, and two blind men followed the Lord in the house and when he was coming to the house of course the blind men wanted to receive their sight they'd heard of jesus doing miracles 
the blind men came to him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. He asked them a question before he did anything. Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. It's important that we believe. And it's when, when we don't believe or where we struggle or where we waver, which we all do at times, it's important that we come and allow God to strengthen our faith by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's not a catchy slogan. It's not simply even just a, a, a verse to memorize. It is a truth that faith comes to the it to our heart and life by the word of God. Hearing it, reading it to ourselves, walking in it. So Micah has this problem. He's got strong enemies all around that are deceitful, and he's got his own sin, and he turns to the Lord. Amen? He turns to the Lord, and he trusts God. I'm going to wait. I want to read towards, uh, look at verse 9 again, when he says, I will bear the indignation. I'll, he's, Micah, this godly prophet, says, I'm going to bear the wrath of the Lord because I have sinned against him until, see, there's hope here. I'm just going to bear continual wrath until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Even for sin, I could say especially for sin, right? God is faithful. He's faithful. He says, I'm going to bear his wrath. I've sinned against the Lord. I'm going to bear the wrath, but he's going to plead my cause. Isn't that what, isn't what Jesus has done for us? Isn't that our Savior and Lord? We took communion this morning. Isn't that what we have in Christ as an advocate, as a mediator who, who stands in the gap and on our behalf and pleads our cause? We sin against God, and the same God that we sin against is the one that pleads our cause. It's really amazing, the mercy of the Lord. Who do we sin against? I sin against God, and I have sinned against God. Who is going to forgive me, that same God? Who's going to plead my cause like an, a mediator or an attorney that's on my side, beseeching on my behalf for my pardon? Jesus, the same one I sinned against is going to plead my cause. He's going to bring me forth and set me in the light of the Lord. I'm not going to stay in darkness, and I'm not going to stay bearing the wrath of God because of my sin. It's coming against me because I have sinned, but God's pleading my cause. And he's standing in the gap. Little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, John said, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. I'm going to bring this to a close. Micah says, he's going to bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. We see this in men of God and women of God when we read in the Bible. You know what Job said? Now, Job, we don't read of any particular sin that caused the calamities that came upon his life. We see that God allowed Satan this much and then stopped him. It's a lot. What he allowed was a lot, but he stopped him short of taking his life, okay? God allowed it, and he put a hedge and said, you're not coming any further, Satan. But he didn't understand what he was going through. And with all the questions and all the things that Job did not know, read the book. Read the book. And he had counselors, and they didn't have a clue either. 
They thought they knew what they were talking about. They weren't speaking on the behalf of God. They said some truths, but they weren't speaking the truth to Job. And so he comes to a point and he says, you know what? I don't know a lot of things. I don't know why this has happened to me. My own wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He says this, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He knew a lot for somebody way back then that didn't have all the Bible. My Redeemer lives. I have a Redeemer who's going to buy me and purchase me. Okay. And he is going to stand. He knew it was a he too. And he's going to stand upon this earth in the latter day. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Isn't that what Micah said? I'm going to see him. I've sinned against him, but he's going to plead my cause and bring me out. And I'm going to behold his righteousness, Micah said, whom I shall see for myself, Job says. Mine eyes shall behold and not another. And I just see this. God wants us to trust like that. We're brought to, that was a crisis of faith for Job. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of things you can glean from the book of Job. But for the man personally, it was a crisis of faith. And this was his profession. This was his profession. I know my Redeemer lives. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him for myself. Even after this body is destroyed in a grave somewhere. This is what Micah is saying. This is what Job is saying. And y'all, D, you can come. This is what the Holy Ghost is saying to us this morning. I said at the beginning, it's a simple message. He wants us to trust. He wants us to be still and no. And he wants you. You you go and stand with me if you would this morning. God doesn't want us to wish and hope. God wants us to be still and know. Wishing and hoping, he wants us to instead he wants us to be still and know. And we stand upon a rock and we call upon our rock and we fall upon our rock. David said, When my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I mean, you just boiling it right down to the closest people to you on the, on the planet, the one that gave birth to you. When my mother and father forsake me, the Lord's going to take me up. He's got me. He's got it. God wants us to boil it down to the most simple things. The altars are open. Don't turn to the Lord halfway. Know that the God of your salvation is going to hear you. The altar's open. Come and call upon the Lord. Fall upon your rock here at this altar. But thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. God wants us to come to him with a confidence to rest upon him, to wait upon him. Father, we call.